So we are approaching the end of our study of the book of James. We've been walking with James, the brother of Jesus, as he kind of discusses these essential truths, these practical actions that Jesus followers would live out, that they would take in their life. And Pastor Bob has been taking us through chapter by chapter as we see this kind of intense focus that James has uh, on what matters most for believers in Jesus and the community of believers. And so we come this morning maybe to the most Um, the most practical, the most essential, the most foundational. And this morning, we see James is going to bring us to a place where we're going to discuss prayer. So we're going to be in James chapter 5. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go there. And as you're turning, let's talk about this fascinating topic of prayer. It's always interesting for a a pastor to talk about prayer because it tends to be kind of a um, contradictory topic. Like, uh, I think that people tend to file uh, messages about prayer, thoughts about prayer into, yeah, yeah, I know that. And yet, what I find almost consistently is that I've never met a follower of Jesus who didn't struggle with prayer. Let me see if I can explain some of these contradictions as I see them. For example, we might agree that prayer is the most important thing a Jesus follower does, and yet we all tend to feel inadequate in our prayer lives. We talk about prayer and praying for things often in a casual way as though praying for each other and praying for needs were a very natural thing, except so few of us have anything resembling regular prayer, let alone daily prayer. We admit that public prayer is important. We want to be together and the people of God who are praying, except many, many people really uh, struggle with it. They, They are resistant to the idea of praying out loud in public. We know that a robust prayer life is important for spiritual maturity, and yet time and time again, so many of us find excuses or reasons why we don't incorporate serious times of prayer into into our just weekly routine. There's an interesting contradiction that we tend to reserve prayer for very formal moments. So we pray at the beginning of meals, or we pray in important civic moments, or we pray when we put children to bed. But we also know that sometimes the most profound prayers we've ever been a part of come in our moments of of deepest need, or even sometimes uh, the most sincere prayers we bump into come from the mouths of little children. Prayer is conversation and silence. Prayer is speaking and listening. Prayer is common and special. Prayer is asking for what we most want and need and desire while at the same time acknowledging and submitting to what God already has planned for us and that his will is secure. Prayer is simple and complex. So let's let James walk us through prayer this morning. Let's let James shape our imagination about what prayer is to be, how we might engage within it. Might it just be possible this morning that God has something to teach you and I about prayer? That instead of coming this morning and being like, yeah, yeah, I know we're supposed to pray, what if maybe we just opened the the door in our heart just a crack, the, the door in our understanding just a little bit and said, God, I'm listening. If there's something you might tell me this morning about what it means to be a person of prayer, that we might might turn our attention to God and say, I'm anticipating you speaking to me this morning in your word. So let's hear what James has to say in chapter 5, 
beginning in verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of church and let them pray. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let's pray. God, might you call uh, some of us into a new understanding of what it means to be a, a person of prayer. Might you lead some of us into a new place of challenge and a new place of growth as we consider what it means that prayer is the work of your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in case you missed it, this passage is about prayer. <laughs> James uses the word prayer or a form of the word prayer um, at least seven times in seven verses. He, um, he, he, if you consider forms of prayer, it's closer to nine times he refers to prayer in just seven verses. And so we need to talk about what prayer is. We're going to use this definition this morning. Here's what I'm going to argue that prayer is, especially as we talk about how James is using it here. Prayer is engaging in an active awareness of and communication with the living God of the universe. When we're talking about prayer, we're talking about intentionally inviting God into the conversations that we're having every day. We're talking about what it means to like, with, with firm intentionality, with, with definite purpose, saying I am in communication with God all the time. And I'm going to bring my awareness to who God is and what he's doing and all that he is and that he might be present here in this moment is what prayer, the essence of prayer is. And guys, it is profoundly difficult, right? It's just, it's just hard. What we're describing seems so simple and yet we all know this is hard for us. And so we're going to let James work with us this, this morning. We're going to explore six truths about prayer that we could learn from this text. And then we're also going to kind of quickly examine the competing misunderstandings that go with those six truths. So the six truths and then with each one, what is a misunderstanding that that truth is correcting? And then we'll summarize it and we'll be done. So let's see what James says first. Here's James' first truth. It's that prayer is for every circumstance. Did you see how this passage begins? He says, is anyone suffering? Pray, is anyone cheerful? Pray, is anyone sick? Pray, is anyone sinful? Is anyone wrestling with sin? Pray. That for James, the answer to all of life's circumstances, to every circumstance that we find ourselves, is to intentionally turn our awareness to God and communicate with him about it. 
And so look at that first one, suffering or trouble. It's a really broad word here. In this, in this place, it means, hey, anything that's difficult, anything that's hard, our response, contrary to the world's response, our response, when the world may freak out or complain or grumble or get confused or withdraw or strive to fix, James' answer is, when there's trouble, the Christian prays. Uh, early in my career, I had a, a kind of a large a junior high youth group. And so uh, in, a, in an effort to want to pray for them, we used to have this prayer journal that I would pass around every week and the students could write their prayer requests in that and know that I would pray for them. And they could leave them anonymous or put their names in it, but, but it was just a chance for them to know that I was aware of what was going on and could pray for them. And I'll never forget the one week I opened up that prayer journal and I see this very long entry uh, in very scrawled sixth grade girl handwriting that says, I don't know what to do, my best friend has died. And I used to talk to her every day and I talked to her first thing in the morning and, and this is so horrible and how can I get by, I can't stop crying, no one really understands but my heart is breaking and it just kind of went on and on and on and I just know God can help me through this and, and will you pray for me because the only thing that's gonna get me through this and I get to the end, very close to the end of her, her entry and it turns out that her best friend was her hamster. And, and I just remember this sigh of relief, right? Like, oh, praise the Lord, because I didn't know who this was. We were going to have to figure this out. Um, but that girl got it. She got prayer. She got that this, that this trouble, this hardship, this difficulty, even though it was a hamster, we pray about it. And I, I thought with joy, man, I'm so glad to pray for this girl and the way she feels that her hamster has passed away, but also... Uh, I remember praying, wow, I'm grateful that that's the biggest trouble she has in her life right now. The Christian prays when there's trouble. The Christian prays when there's happiness. In times when that, that word cheerful though, there indicates times when things are just good, like according to an earthly like, measure, a standard, like things are looking good, we're cheerful, we're happy. The Bible says the Christian's response is to pray. Not like the world does, not, we, not the, the world responds with kind of overindulgence or parting or boasting, look how good my life is, or, or maybe getting lazy or comfortable, but the Christian response is to pray. And what a great response in happy times, because we might be tempted to think that our good things are, are a result of our doing. But in our happiness, we sing praises to God, we turn our attention to Him, and we invite Him into the conversation about the bad things, and the good things. We see also here that the Christian prays when there's sickness. We'll explore some of the details uh, more about that later, but in a place where many of us, especially in the ancient world, if, if you were sick, um, the uncertainty that would come along with that, um, the fear that would come along with that, the anxiety and the worry, and, and these clues here that the, the elders will come and pray over that person, that that person can't even get out of their bed, that the response to anxiety and worry and fear and, and frustration and, and, and confusion would be for the Christian to pray. And then we see later, further on, that we see that if anyone needs to confess their sins, if they've committed sins, confess them, pray about them with one another, we're told in this passage. And so sometimes when we, we think about things that we've done wrong, our instinct would be to hide those things, right? Our instinct would be to withdraw. The world may ignore or minimize or avoid a conversation about sin, and yet God says we pray. So in trouble, in happiness, in sickness, in sin, in every circumstance of the life, the Christian's response is to pray. 
Unfortunately, we have a misunderstanding about when we pray. And so for many of us, we don't turn our attention to God until it's convenient, right? Until, oh, I have space, I, I can pray. Or maybe we wait to turn our attention to God until we, we're desperate. And, and then I've turned my attention to God. Or maybe when I remember to do so, or remember when, when I'm in church or I'm with other people. But the thing is that we're to turn our attention to God at all times in every circumstance. This is James' first truth. His second truth is not just that prayer is for every circumstance, but that prayer is for every person. Just quickly, did you see here, he says, is anyone cheerful? Is anyone sick? Is anyone suffering? Is anyone in trouble? The prayer of a righteous person, that, that prayer is for all of us. I've heard this persistent myth over the years where people will say something like, I'm just not good at praying. I'm not as good as, as other people is praying. I feel awkward in praying. And so for some reason, we've turned prayer in our mind into something that resembles a performance. Or we've turned prayer into our mind as something that we can do well or we can get good at. Or, or that we can, we can have a talent. We can be better or worse than someone else at prayer. And that's not how James conceives of prayer at all. That turning our attention to God, being in conversation with God is something for every single person, not gifted Christians, not spiritual heroes. There's not other people out there who are better at prayer than you are. Again, I don't think I've ever talked to a faithful follower of Jesus who said they have the prayer thing down. It's not a talent. Prayer is a skill. It's a muscle that we learn to grow. So prayers for every circumstance, it's for every person. But notice that James also tells us that prayer is both individual and private and corporate and public. That there's, there's both things are important here, that, that we would pray individually, privately on our own, but we would also be engaged in the community's prayer for one another. This passage highlights both. And so if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, pray. If you're sick, call other people to pray for you. Specifically, James names the elders here, and that would just be people who are designated to have the spiritual maturity and the calling in that moment to, to uh, exercise leadership over that particular body of, of Christ. We have elders at our church. They, they fill almost exactly the same role. Your elders would want me to say, and I say with full sincerity, there's nothing special about an elder's prayer. The elders represent the church body as a whole. And so when you call the elders to pray, you're, pray you're, you're calling the representatives of the community of Christ to join their prayers with, your, with yours. And so we pray together. We pray publicly. We, we, we do these things that indicate that we belong as a body of Christ in conversation with God. Not just alone, but together. And this competes with a misunderstanding that maybe it's one or the other, that the good prayers are the prayers that happen on Sunday morning at church, or that the, the good prayers are the prayers that the pastors pray, and my prayers are not, are not so good. And then sometimes we get that mixed up too, and we say, uh, I'm not really going to track with what the prayer is happening publicly, because I do my own praying on my own when I remember it and I journal. But, but the scripture says, James says the truth here is that it's both. It's both of those things. So, so we pray, we turn our attention to God. We are in communication with the living God of the universe in every circumstance, and it's every one of us, and it's alone, and it's together. And then we see here also that prayer is a work of faith. It's not an act of desperation or kindness. Prayer is a work of faith. 
Let's talk about that really quick. Look down in verse 15 where we're told that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Let's talk about that really quick. Faith um, is the key component of effective prayer. But this is where it's so important for us to remind each other what faith is. Faith is an active trust in God that he is who he says he is, that he's doing the things that he said he will do, that he's working everything out in accordance with his will, and he's to be trusted. He is to be actively trusted. Faith isn't some magical power. It's not like faith is some incantation that we add to our prayers to make them work. Faith isn't a psychic force. It's not like all of a sudden I say, I'm going to pray this prayer with faith, right? That's not what, what James is talking about here. What he's saying is that prayer offered in faith, that prayer as a work of faith is us saying, I know who God is and I know to whom I speak. And I know that he knows me and he knows you and he loves us and he cares for us and he's actively involved in the world. And so I'm going to ask him to move on our behalf. When we pray with faith, we're doing something more than praying with desperation. You know, sometimes I think people talk about prayer and they say, I'm going to pray about that. And what they really mean is, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to pray. Which is a part of that that's true. But a prayer of faith instead would say, I know someone who can help with this. And he's listening right now. Let me talk to him. There's a big difference between saying, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to pray, and instead saying, hey, I know the one in charge, let's talk to him. Let's turn our attention to him. You know, one of my favorite examples of how we get prayer wrong is, um, comes in football. I am not a football expert, but I know this about football. I know that when it's at the end of the game and you're losing, or maybe at the end of the half and you're losing and you're not sure what to do, you're going to do this thing because you're, you're desperate and you don't have any other options and you have nothing left to lose. And so the quarterback is going to throw the ball as far as he can down the field. And all those little receivers are going to run out there and you are going to hope and hope and hope that your guy catches the ball and comes down with it because it's the end of the game. You're, you're going to lose if you, don't, if you don't make this play and you don't have anything to lose anyway because the other team's already winning and so you make this completely desperate. You would never run this play in any other circumstance, but you do it at the end of the game. And you know what we named that play? It's a Hail Mary. And you know what a Hail Mary is, right? That's, that's a prayer our, our, our friends, the Catholics, pray. We name an act of desperation after prayer. Because we believe that many times that's what prayer is. Now, we should pray in desperate times. But prayer is so much more than a last-ditch effort. You know, a Hail Mary, naming something a Hail Mary is really kind of like saying, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to pray and hopefully it works. And that's the opposite of a prayer of faith because prayer of faith says, God knows what to do. He's in charge and he loves us and so I'm going to talk to him. A prayer of faith is also something different than a prayer of kindness. You know, it's great when we say we're going to pray for people. That's awesome. We should do that, right? But sometimes when we say... Uh, you have my thoughts and prayers, or we'll pray for you. What we're really saying is, I'm not sure what to say here, and so I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be kind. And we should pray. But sometimes what behind that is when we say, I'll pray for you, um, we just think we're, we're doing something kind for someone else. But what you're really saying when you say you're going to pray for someone is that you're saying, I care about you so much, 
I will take this matter before the living God of the universe who knows you and cares for you and listens to me because he is our father. And so let's pray. You're not just throwing that out as something kind to do for them. When you say you're going to pray for someone, you are saying you're going to do the most significant act a follower of Jesus can do. Prayer of faith is remembering who you talk to when you pray. It's not casual. It's not simple. It's not just desperation. It's just not, oh, the last-ditch effort. It's the least I can do. It's the most we can do to intentionally communicate to God. And we all do it, alone and together, in every circumstance, every one of us. It's not just that prayer is a work of faith. Prayer is also able to change things. We talk about this a lot in this passage, but I just want us to look really quick at verse 16, at the end of verse 16, where we have this famous uh, phrase that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Well, who is this mysterious righteous person? How do I meet them, right? <laughs> How do I connect with the person who has this great, powerful prayer? And here's, I let you in in the secret, take off the mask, surprise, it's you. You are the righteous person that James is talking about here. I am the righteous person that James is talking about here. What does it mean to be a righteous person? It means that we belong to Jesus Christ. It means that his righteousness has been imparted to us, that when we stand before God in prayer, we stand fully forgiven, received, justified because of the blood of Jesus, not because of who we are. So who is this mysterious righteous person that prays powerfully? It is you. And it is me. Because of Jesus Christ. Of course it's powerful. The image I, I like here is uh, when I was, um, uh, a long time ago I was on a mission trip and they say, hey, you're going to build this house. I think I may have talked about this before. But I'll never forget this kind of big construction guy who was kind of overseeing our project. Uh, coming over to one of our little freshman girls, like big old glasses, blonde hair, short, tiny, you know, like a stiff breeze would make her fall over, this, this tiny little girl, and he, he hefts up this big, legit, real deal nail gun with the, with the whole like air hose and the compressor and the kunk, kunk, you know, shooting nails, and he says, hey, you're going to learn how to use this nail gun as we frame out this house. And I remember standing behind me like, oh my gosh, no. Um, and Doggone it, if that little girl didn't put a house together with a nail gun over three days. And, and I watched her with this power in her hand. And the confidence that came from the person standing behind her, because that guy, like, bird-dogged her the whole time. <laughs> like, watched over and said, he told her exactly what to do, and he stood over her, and he worked with her. He showed her how to use this immensely powerful tool, and the world changed. That house grew. That thing was built. Prayer isn't just a nice thing, you guys. Prayer's not just a nice thing. It is powerful. It's not a blindly kind of benign bland response that we give to the issues of life. Prayer is the nail gun that God has handed over to you and I. He's handed it over to his righteous people, the ones who belong to Jesus Christ, and he says, now go use this and change the world, and I'm right here behind you, and don't get mistaken, this power isn't your own. I I've got everything hooked up in the way that it needs to be. Now go change the world with the power that I've given you. Friends, that is prayer. It is God working 
in our attentiveness, in our communication with him to change the world around us through our partnership. Because I don't know why it sometimes seems that prayer isn't powerful. I don't know all of the reasons why God chooses not to answer some of our prayers. And I know that in this room and in our community, we have prayed desperately for some things that it seems like God has turned a blind eye to. But here's what I know. I know that God makes the choices for us that we would make if we knew everything he knew. I know that his character is to be trusted. And I know some prayers go unanswered, but friends, listen, some prayers are answered. And at the end of the day, every prayer is answered for the good of God's people. Whether it's here on earth or, or in the new creation to come, God has our best in mind and prayer is powerful. Finally, through the example of Elijah, James wants to teach us this truth that prayer is persistent. Prayer is persistent. And so he uses the last two verses here, the example of Elijah, and he pulls out these interesting things about Elijah. But what's important for us to know is that in James' day, Elijah was a big deal, right? For us, he's kind of like an obscure Bible character. But in, in, in the time of Jesus, in the time of James, Elijah was like one of the core avengers of like the Old Testament, right? There's like Moses... Abraham and Elijah. Like he was like a superhero um, to these people. The things that Elijah did, the way that he was connected to God, his, the, prof, the, the way that he, he embodied what it meant to be a prophet in the world. Elijah was a big deal. And the very first thing that James calls out about Elijah is that he's just a normal guy. Did you see it? He has a nature like ours. There's nothing special about him. But look what he did. Look down in verse 17. Elijah was just like us, a man just like us, a nature like ours. But he prayed fervently, and he prayed for three and a half years. Three and a half years is kind of like an a, a ancient Near Eastern idiom for a long time, right? So here's Elijah, a normal guy who decided to pray fervently and persistently for years and years and years when things were really, really hard, and then he saw the working of God in the world. We're all like Elijah's, is, is James's point. And when we turn our attention to God, we do it persistently, consistently, and it may be over years and years and years we're praying for something, but that's the key to prayer is that we wait on God and we count on his goodness, and it's not instantaneous, and he's not a vending machine, but we go to God and we say, I'm going to keep asking you for this, I'm going to keep asking you for, the, for you for this, because I trust in your goodness and the sovereignty of your plan. So prayer is persistent. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is an act of faith. Prayer is for all of us together and some of us uh, uh, and us on our own. It is for every single one of us in every single circumstance. We are to turn our attention to God. I think this makes prayer uh, a profoundly un-21st century activity. 
right? It's really countercultural to the world that we find ourselves in. Because in order to be a person defined by prayer, in order to be a person who's defined by turning our attention to God, we are going to presume things that, like this that say, I'm not in charge of my own life. There's someone's will who countermands my own. That person's will is God. And by the way, you can't even see him. It's, it's so countercultural to, to, to be a person of prayer because what we're saying is I can't earn and I can't achieve and I can't perform in a way that will get me what I most want. And so all I'm left to do is just to ask. All I'm left to do is to admit my weakness in achieving my own ends and trust myself to God. Prayer is a profoundly countercultural act, a profoundly un-21st century choice because it says I don't always know what's best for me. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask God to act and he may do things that I don't want and I don't understand. Prayer is challenging because we have to give serious time and space and focus and intentionality to it, which means that we have to seriously consider our lives that are, that are full of demands and scatteredness and distraction and busy and hurry. Prayer is the opposite of all of those things. Prayer reveals what we believe about God. It's a, it's a mirror. When what we think about prayer mirrors what we think about God. So let me remind you of him. He's good and he's gracious. So you can pray expectantly for him to work. He's faithful and he loves you. So he has your best in mind. You can pray knowing he has your best in mind. He's attentive. He knows everything that you need. So you can pray without fear and without anxiety. And you're accepted into his presence because of his grace. Even the faith that energizes prayer is his gift to you and I. So you can relax as you rely on him in conversation. God wants to be with you and I. He wants to share fellowship with us. He wants to hear what's going on. He wants us to invite him into the everyday parts of our lives. He wants to be in every circumstance. Could we pray believing that? Imagine you're the parent of a 13-year-old girl. You know her inside and out. You've sacrificed so much for her for for more than a decade to make sure that she's sheltered and nurtured and safe and loved. You're, you're so interested in her life and her thoughts and her feelings. You want to hear her perspectives. You want to, to do everything that you can to meet her needs. You want to spend time with her. You want to help with her when she can, when, when you can. But gradually, she has stopped talking to you. You ask her how she's doing and she just grunts. You can tell when she's had a bad day, but she doesn't want to talk about it. She spends most of her time in her room, and when she's around you, her nose is kind of unvaryingly, like, right there in her phone. Sometimes she laughs really hilariously, uproariously, and you say, hey, what's so funny? And she just says, nothing you wouldn't understand. Feels like sometimes she forgets that you exist, or at least she wants to forget that you exist. You know things can be hard for her. You watch her withdraw and struggle. 
Her friendships come and go, you know she's hurting, but she won't let you on about what's really happening. She doesn't ask for your help in negotiating the difficulties of school or friendships in life. In one particularly bad day, you get in a fight. She screams at you, she's angry, she misbehaves, and you discipline her because you care about her, but even then, she just shuts you out even more, convinced you've added to her problems rather than alleviating them. She shouts her frustrations to the air, heads her room to her room and slams the door. And you're left staring at the barrier between the two of you desperately wanting to help and comfort and share in her life. But she's not interested in talking to you. Friends, I think this is the smallest picture of what God must experience when we withhold our prayers. And unlike the parent of a teenager, God already knows it all. Unlike the parent of a teenager, God has the power to change things, to fix things. And it's so many times we choose not to talk to him. And when we refuse or neglect or forget to pray, we aren't forgetting to fulfill some religious expectation. We are neglecting and forgetting and shutting ourselves off from a parent who loves us and knows us and desperately wants to help us. Because I get it, prayer's hard. It's hard for me. It's hard because it's unnatural. It, it, it's countercultural. It requires an intentionality that doesn't come naturally to us. But here's the thing, we don't have to say the right things, there's no magic words. We just have to decide that the more important thing right now is to be aware of God and speak with him. So let's do that now. God, I do pray that we would be uh, people of prayer in every circumstance. That we would pray together and alone. That we would pray with faith and persistence. And that we would see your power at work through our prayers. God, we do that. Would we do this? Because we are so convinced of your love for us, shown through Christ on the cross. God, convict us uh, of our weaknesses. Strengthen us that we be, might be more faithful. And above all, remind us to speak with you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.